yeah, I, it's it's a new. This is what a paradigm shift does, I suppose, is it really challenges you to not know the answers. I don't. I don't. I think that part of the meeting. I don't think that we're going to like walk into the meeting and be given a piece of paper that says this is what you have to have students sign. I think that we're going to be talking about all right, what actually is our definition and of academic integrity? What does it mean, especially as a humanities department, to turn in original work? Welcome back to the Broken Copier Conversation about Teaching. My name is Jim Mayers. And I'm Marcus Luther. Uh, so some reminders about the show. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to folks working in the classroom. Most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream and to text your friends a link to an episode uh, so they can tune in as well. So, uh, Marcus, I got a little warm-up question for you. Okay, I'm excited. Uh, I know we've got some chat GPT stuff to get to, especially... To frame this, not like the broad philosophical stuff that we spent entire episodes to, but more like choices and decisions that schools are making right now and yeah. what we would make uh, in those seats. Because I think some of us listening probably are having those conversations. But that being said, love a good bell ringer. What do you got for me? So, Marcus, uh, what is a practice? And there may not be, but what is what is a practice that you were told to do early on in your career that you dismissed and you didn't want to do it and you thought it was bad that you now have come around to practice that i did not want to do and this is always for these bell ringers listeners as i'm like trying to create a little bit of time to think uh think about how you would answer them too especially if you're in education so something i was told to do that resisted initially yep. and now am much more uh, open to. I would say that the concept of, so one thing I was definitely told to do, which was uh, a very Teach for America informed thing. And yeah. I have been a frequent critic <clears throat> of Teach for America and will continue to be. But one of the things I'm really appreciative of <clears throat> is the push for owning your own classroom data. Like you mm -hmm. need to be able to be able to say, here's what my students have learned and you're tracking it and really putting that ownership on you as a teacher. And early on in my career, and I think it's really difficult year one. It's like I had five preps and they're asking for all this stuff. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't keep track of all these different data points. And like, I'm making these assessments up way too late in the unit for it to be as meaningful. Like early in the career, when you're not given the right support, that is an overwhelming thing. But mm -hmm. I do think that there's incredible value in agency as a teacher to be able to go into any room at any point. And now with technology, like here, let me pull up my Google sheet. Here's what any student 
in my classroom has learned on these standards. Here's their growth. And to document that and to be able to talk like from IEP meetings to you know, PLCs to conversations with administration, it is so, so valuable as a teacher to take on that ownership. And I know that there's way too many things on our shoulders, but uh, I really do appreciate that push early on, which forced me to build those skills, which I now very much value as part of my tool belt as a teacher uh, in a way that I wouldn't have probably acknowledged year one. What about yeah. you? Well, I, um, I love that answer. I wasn't expecting that answer. I was, I'm so excited about this bell ringer question that I cut off a little bit of your framing. So I apologize about that. No, you're okay. And uh, yeah, if you will, we'll, we'll turn to chat GPT and you can re- add any reframing uh, that, that you think is necessary. So for me, I have been thinking about this a lot. And for me, the answer is uh, a word wall, which is not, um, I really resisted it at first because it seemed like, I don't, honestly, I don't know why. I, it, it seemed silly. It seemed a little, um, it seemed a little like juvenile to, cause like it, first of all, it was nothing that I had experienced before. And I was like, no, like this, like a word wall, it seems, it seems too easy. It seems um, like I'm like students, it it seems too easy and too prescriptive. I I, I don't really remember. It was a long time ago, but I remember really rejecting the concept and the idea of a word wall Um, and people can use them in different ways. But now I am, and I don't have like, a traditional word wall necessarily in my classroom, but I am in the sense that like, this is a whiteboard. And every time we learn a new vocabulary word, we're going to write it on the wall. And that way you have a visual uh, scaffold, which I think that can be great. That actually can be a really great tool. But where I'm coming from is I am such a big proponent now of word banks during drafting, especially to elevate writing. Um, word banks doing during drafting and sentence templates. I'm, I don't know if anyone out there has read They Say, I Say, um, but it's a it's a academic writing handbook. It's really well written. And they have a lot of like conversational templates. And so in my AP Lang class, I have a, I have a one-page handout of author's purpose verbs. And when students are writing or even during a Socratic seminar, I don't do this enough and it's a goal of mine moving into the next semester. Like just put that sheet of paper with author's purpose verbs in front of students as they are either writing or talking about a text. And that elevates the sophistication of what they're able to do. Even if it's just a reminder, it's really not just, it's really not like cheating or it's a, it's a helpful scaffold. And so I, and I also will require I have this weekly writing routine uh, in my AP Lang class and I will, there's always like auth, there's tone author's purpose verbs and tone words are, are what I focus on because that's like how you unlock meaning a lot of times in text and students are required in order to get full credit. Students are required to use at least two of the current tone vocabulary words in their writing. And I'm just, yeah, so I'm just such a big, and, and so now with technology, like we use vocabulary.com and it's not like on a wall necessarily, but students have 
a list of words that they can easily access and know where to go. Um, and it just helps build thing. It helps build their writing a lot better. So yeah, my 180 is about word walls and word banks and yeah. scaffolding is super important. You don't have to sell me on, I'm, I don't have the traditional one like you noted, but I mean, I also have an octopus on my wall that students oh, yeah. nominate each other to sign. And, and I, so I, and that was something to go back to your initial question, my start of my career I was told it's important to really decorate your room intentionally and use the walls. And I was like, no, like the learning's going to be inspirational. What it's in their brain. About? Yeah. Like, I've got my data <laughs> charts and that's it. And then uh -huh. it was like, I've just shifted completely where I look at every space on the wall as an opportunity to make our classroom community better, to make our learning environment stronger, like you were talking about. And I do believe, I agree, like we have a lot of resources that are given to students with their like writing, we have our tone word, mood word list. It's in their spiral that they refer to frequently in their writing, mm -hmm. for example. And it, it also, I think the idea of like the closed book test for authentic learning, it's like, no, the open book. And then that allows me to ask more of them mm -hmm. in terms of, it's not just memorization and these low level thinking questions, like they're applying that knowledge. But speaking of low-level thinking and applying uh -huh. knowledge. Uh, look at that transition there. There you go. Nice uh, job. We're to, we know that we have devoted multiple episodes conceptually to ChatGPT, the paradigm shift that is. But now, as Jim asked, like, wanted to just talk about, and I'm going to let Jim kind of take over the reins here, conversations that are happening at college, high school, different school district levels. What do we do with this right now we know there's yeah. the long term we had the conversation about the long term what do we do right now in the, like this semester schools are deciding in terms of access deciding in terms of how to communicate to students uh what do we do jim what are the conversations that your school's having or that you've been thinking about lately and i'll let you take the reins yeah it's a good question and you um just want to say shout out to you you're right we you called it i think in november uh, I was a bit more of a skeptic and saying, ah, oh, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And it is certainly a big deal. Uh, um, it's revolutionary as far as I'm concerned. I actually, one quick note, I listened to this other podcast called Hard Fork. It's a New York Times technology podcast. And um, they noted, I think it was they who noted that Google has had, it's basically like Google has, Google is panicking about chat GPT and the effectiveness of this technology. And they, this like huge cash printing tech giant that's been in our lives forever, uh, views chat GPT and the success of it as a, a threat, a significant threat. So to think that education can just write it off is um, silly to me. Uh, so anyhow, kudos to you for, for that push. Um, I I can tell you about some of the conversations. I don't know if they are right or wrong and I and I can certainly speculate on what how what I think and what I how I'm going to respond, but I just I'll I'll name up front like I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty messy for the next couple of years. We are having a meeting. I don't know what the exact um contents of the meeting are going to be, but I was having this conversation with my um my dean of humanities and she said yeah we have we're going to have a whole team whole humanities meeting 
to talk about the use of chat GPT because, um, you know, it's out there and students are using it for sure. And one, one of the things that I do know in that meeting is we're talking about a whole school wide push to just simply reiterate the value of academic integrity on your own, just reminding students, um, and you know, during exam week, we had, we, there's like this sort of ominously toned, um, academic integrity statement that students have to sign, which I don't think is like, I don't know what I feel about that. I get it, but I do think that, or I do know that there's going to be, you know, a piece of paper that we create that we're going to have students sign that just says sort of philosophically work that I turn in is my own. Um, will that, will that do much to dissuade students from chat GPT? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think the students, I think if students are going to be squirrely about chat GPT and try to use it and get away with it, they are going to still attempt to do that. But I do think that there's a big appetite. I actually, before break, modeled ChatGPT for my students in my classroom and had a conversation about it. And, and it, was, it was honestly surprising to me in a good way because there were some students who were joking around and they were like, Mayor's like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're giving away the game here. Why did you show us this? And they were making that joke, but I was surprised and proud of students for saying, I don't really like this. Like I, I think like it's, it, it is cheating. It can, it can be used for cheating and I don't want to be a cheater and I want to, and I want to be a good writer and like this, I'm not, I don't want to use this as a crutch and I don't want to get away with this because of course the problem with chat GPT is that it can write stuff that is that is new and will not be detected by you know turn it in or other sort of plagiarism checkers so there's a real opportunity for students to turn stuff in that is um not detected by that stuff so let me just i'll just pause there like the first major concrete action that my school is taking which i think is the right thing is around just a belief in academic integrity and saying this is what we see like we want we value your own independent work and we want you to value that as well so i'll pause is that, there yeah is that statement come with consequence like is that because if i'm going to push back on it in a sec but i want to make sure i clarify what i'm pushing back on is yeah. it just a statement of valuing academic? Like, is it is it a positive frame statement of we want to reiterate, given this and some of the other things that like that we believe in the value of you forming your own ideas. We want to support you in that, and hopefully you'll commit to that. Or is it more of like I'm promising not to do X, Y, and Z, so then you can pull that paper back out if they do or if it's found from a punitive standpoint. Yeah. I actually don't know. I think I think part of the conversation that we're going to have, and I can, I'm happy to come back on the pod and and talk about what happened. I think part of the conversation that we're going to have is as a team of teachers discuss 
what we want to discuss that question. Like, what do we want the language to be? Um, and I don't think, I don't think that being super punitive is going to be helpful. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's a new, this is what a paradigm shift does, I suppose, is it really challenges you to not know the answers. I don't, I don't, I think that part of the meeting, I don't think that we're going to like walk into the meeting and be given a piece of paper that says, this is what you have to have students sign. I think that we're going to be talking about, all right, what actually is our definition and of academic integrity? What does it mean, especially as a humanities department to turn in original work, mm -hmm. which I think is the right conversation to have uh, in this moment. Yeah. And I, I agree with the conversation. I struggle with the piece of paper implications, especially I know there are teachers who are rewriting their syllabus or syllabi mm -hmm. for second semester. There are colleges that are having these meetings about how do we shift policy mid-year? Uh, and it feels like everyone's scrambling. And my gut response to this is to breathe, to mm -hmm. have more. Con I think the conversation part's important with students. And I love the transparency in that sense. I mean, I'm talking about this from a district that is banned it. So the kids don't have access at school with their school devices, but any kid who has means to independent access can pull it out and use it. And there's a huge equity issue that I talked about in our first yeah. uh, conversation that is already manifesting itself in districts that choose to block it, uh, which is something I very much disagree with for that reason. But yeah, we, we have, I'll just add too, we've blocked it on our, on our servers so, uh, at yeah. school, which is like, okay, but kids don't only use that server, but yeah. Yeah. So I struggle one, because there's ways to use it that I would say, academic integrity isn't the conference. Like if you're, Hey, read my piece and tell, like, look for errors. We use great, like Grammarly is allowed. So like, there's a, there's a gray area in certain things with that. Uh, there are students who go home and have their you know families read it or siblings read pieces of writing. Like there's all these other gray areas. And I just, my overall, when it comes to like that conversation about cheating and all of that, one, I think it's a deficit way of talking about learning Two something I'm very open with my students about because they'll ask me at times in previous years before this uh, ball game changer uh, about things like that. But if I get stressed about it, and I definitely used to be very stressed about it. But ultimately, especially given that we know what, like, there's always like questions about like grades themselves and like what this learning is. At the end of the day, if you choose to shortcut your own pursuit of knowledge and your own pursuit of learning, the bigger consequences felt by you. And I, I'm mm -hmm. very open with that with students. Like if you take a shortcut, like even procrastination to a degree, you are eliminating the process of struggle in your learning. If you just do it last minute and turn it in, you're not going to get anything out of it compared mm -hmm. to what you would have otherwise. I'm not going to stress about that because there's 200 of you and one of me and I can't own that stress uh, in a fair way, in an equitable way. But I do want, I do think that's right. I think there's a positive conversation about the value of doing the work independently and, and following, trying to push yourself to, to take the tools that have been provided for you intentionally by your instructor and mm -hmm. use those to create your own authentic product. Uh, it also means that it's on us to make sure that what we're asking them to do isn't just a regurgitation of something that they could enter into Google or in this case, chat GPT, 
so it's kind of a barometer for us about what we're asking them to do too. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at is like, so I'm resistant to the paper because it feels deficit mindset. Yeah. On students. It can be. And it reminds me uh, as you were talking, um, it reminds me also of, I'll tell a quick story here. So I have a weekly, um, as like ongoing practice, I've talked about this on the podcast before, just like weekly assignments. It's a one page, uh, one page reflection of what's, what connections can you make in AP Lang? It's about connections from the text to your own life and an AP seminar. It is a little bit more nuts and bolts of like, how's your research project going? What are your next? And I'm basically asking students in that writing, there's some technical requirements, but the purpose of, of each assignment is for students to narrate for themselves their learning. That's really what it's about. Um, and I have said to students, and it's, you know, it's posted on Google Classroom week after week, and I have said to students, um, and they said, the first question they ask when I roll it out is, can we type it? And I have said to students, yeah, you can type it if you want. I, however, encourage you to handwrite it because I believe in the value of handwriting. I think it's a good practice. Um, and I can show some studies that talk about how like handwriting can just create a different type of environment that in some ways can produce better thinking. If you're able to just sit down at a table and handwrite and handwrite like a little reflection, you and I have gone back and forth on that a little bit, but like, I'm still kind of there. And it's interesting to me because I basically have said to students, yeah, you can get full credit. You can type it if you want, but I think handwriting is better. And I think, and I, and I just encourage you to handwrite. And most, if not all of them do, they, they, they do that uh, because they have said, they have heard me as the teacher say, well, he thinks that handwriting is better. So I'm just going to do that. And it reminds me of like the power that, cause I was surprised, honestly, I was like, I, I didn't expect the vast majority of students to be turning these things in handwritten, but my process, right. Is to say, open up your spiral notebook and handwrite this piece and handwrite this assignment and then submit a photo of it in Google classroom. That way you have it. And we don't have to go through the back and forth of me collecting the papers and checking it off and then handing it back out like a couple of days later or, or a week later uh, when I like remember to do it and I have it and I can grade it and I can provide written feedback uh, like in Google Classroom on the comments. And it's just it's it was interesting to me the and I just think it's relevant here because it's in it's really interesting to me that if I framed I framed something as like optional and there's an easier pathway perhaps and there's not an easier pathway and i think the non-easier pathway is generally better but i don't really care either way most students chose to handwrite and take my suggestion and i think it's it's that i think matters because if we if teachers operate with integrity and say we're aware of these things that you can do, but as a learner, this is what's valuable. I think students really take heed to that. Of course, you're going to 
of course you're going to have some problems. And of course people are going to try to short circuit some things, but like, I'll also have students who will, you know, who'll say, Hey, I, sorry, I tried to handwrite this, but like, I forgot my notebook and I just needed to type it. And I'm like, you don't need to apologize. Uh, typing is allowed. You can certainly type this and you still get full credit. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you bringing that story in because one, I think the, I do see the virtue of the handwriting there, but two, I think it applies to the whole conversation and like how we yeah. educators should be responding in this moment where we don't have the answers. We don't have the tools. We just need to be, Hey, like modeling. These are good processes. We think uh, we recommend that you take that will be best for your learning. Here's why. And we're going to try and support you towards that. But anyone coming at this from like the panic punitive mode in terms of how we communicate to students like that's going to do harm. Like there's going to be pro- like problems are going to be caused this semester with lots of things. There's going to be districts that spend money, I'm sure, on these invasive technologies that mm-hmm. really like treat students like with a really like I know I've said deficit mindset again, but like invade their privacy. Like look at their like in their devices. Like what's the historical? Like have you accessed Chat GPT on your personal device in the last 24 hours? I'm sure some of that stuff's going to start rolling out. We saw it in the pandemic in colleges. Uh, where academic integrity becomes a way to look at students in a, a really harmful way. And I, mm-hmm. I just am worried about that's where we're shifting. And I think what you just did was model, hey, I want to like be, like value your learning as a student. Here's the pathway I think is best as a teacher to reaching that space. And the other part of this conversation, I think in the short term that I've I'm hearing, reading, et cetera, conversations being had is teachers saying, okay, we need to shift to like all in-class assessments. Like we, mm-hmm. like it has to be done in class so I can see that it's being done by you versus these other programs. Is that something that you or you're hearing or is that something you su- are support of is shifting more into the classroom with mm-hmm. your uh, assessments of writing? I'm definitely hearing it. Um, I, I am also generally supportive of asking students to do less stuff at home. (laughs) Um, So like, I don't approach this. I don't, it's similarly, like I don't approach the in-class assessment stuff from a, well, we don't, I don't trust you to do your own work outside of school. I approach the in-class assessment stuff as, Hey, we in education just need to slow down a little bit and the stuff that we do during the school day in the classroom is the meat of what needs to occur. And so, yeah, like I'm, I'm supportive of much of more like in class active writing processes but because I want that to I, like, if you want to do stuff for my class outside, then I want it to be basically, I want it to be reading. If you didn't finish the reading in class and editing some editing, some papers, yeah. but I don't, you know, like that's kind of how I approach that in class stuff. So like, yes, generally I think that that will sideline the value of chat GPT, uh, but not out of, not out of a sense of like, I don't trust you to, to not use it. I don't, if, if that makes sense. 
no, I agree with you. And I think that that's like, cause that's the good thing. It could be a side result is like less stuff outside of school. Mm-hmm. That creates all sorts of widening of gaps in terms of students opportunity to have work and other responsibilities. Uh, I, where I'm trying to reflect on with this is that I am a believer of, I'm going to give you the time to do it as much as possible in class. I'm not a believer in timed assessments for like just quality of learning. Like some students need more time to process and learn uh, and to get through their thinking as writers. Uh, And it's stressful for them if they know that I need to hand this in in 50 minutes or 70 minutes, uh, this writing sample. And yes, there's an argument for stamina and trying to like stay urgent in that writing space. But for me, my balance is I'm going to give you the time but then it's going to be due like 48 hours from now. I, I, mm-hmm. I would love for you to submit it now. But I also, to take away that stress, if you want to like spend more time with it, go back and edit it. If you were, Also, if you're out, like it creates some good flexibility. I worry about a shift to all in class. One that's driven by, again, that negative view of students, like the assumption that they will cheat, which is, I, did, I disagree with that uh, assumption and mindset as educators. Two, the argument that, we can't let them take this outside of class and we have to do it in class because we don't trust them outside and the consequences of doing so. And I think that will limit the quality of student writing and not be good for students who need, some students need that space. And like, it is not going to be a negative experience for them. If we draw boundaries around the classroom and say, you can only produce your in work in here. Uh, so I, I'm resistant to that too. I, I'm pretty much, if you haven't noticed, my pattern is I was very <laughs> alarmist, in the, this uh-huh. is the paradigm shift. I'm very not alarmist. And I think we just need to do nothing and just be humble in this moment and being mm-hmm. reactive too quickly is a bad thing is my general yeah. take to anyone making policy choices right now. Yeah. I, um, and I also want, before we close this, I wanted to at least put on the table, like we, we have an opportunity to instead of saying instead of thinking about how do we prevent students from cheating we have an opportunity i think especially english teachers or humanities teachers to say how do we use this new tool and this new technology like what how do we bring it in uh to our own classrooms and like allow it to be honestly what it is designed to be which is uh like a writing tutor or could you could be used as a writing tutor and writing assistant and like a one-on-one modeling tool uh that students that students use um and i wanted to just share real quick i uh, this this email because i think it really sort of speaks to that i have um i email a lot with this professor of mine from college Uh, And I asked him about uh, like reading and we were actually emailing about reading instruction, but he brought up, he brought up in the email um, the AI stuff. So yeah, I'm just going to read that. Does that sound okay? Yeah. I think it it also seems Um, to like check the box of celebrating those who've pushed their own uh, influence onto us as teachers. Yeah, for sure. Um, So in the context of a larger conversation of, you know, how do we get students to do all their readings and value all their readings, et cetera? Um, He says, 
If students could see that there was to be an active inquiry pursued every class period, and this became the classroom norm, this would hopefully uh, this would hopefully stimulate enough desire to come to class armed for the investigation that students would mostly end up getting the reading done. And with all the AI apps now available, we could have fun trying to coax an AI to imitate, uh, to imitate the author's style, purposefully vague. In this case, he's talking about Auster, but it could be any author. But to coax an AI to imitate Auster's style, purposefully vague, suggestive, but often evasive, offering few concrete details, but making much of them when they're introduced. And to me, like, that sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. It's like, you, I need to read this thing, uh, this piece of literature, really think about the style of the author and the tone of the author and know it really well. And now let's go see if we can like play with this AI tool to see if we can get it to do the same thing. Which is, which is the funny thing that I tweeted about um, the other, like, I think the other day with um, describing a teaching position as like an alpha male CEO. And I was just like, so perfect and so funny. Um, but to me, that is sort of the essence of where I would like to see the AI conversation going, but I don't have a lot of hope that that's actually where it's going to go. No, and I think how we handle this is going to be very revealing of where our baseline attitudes and insecurities are as teachers in schools. And because going back to the paradigm shift, uh, that this is going to change what we do, uh, especially as mm -hmm. humanities teachers, but all teachers. And there's going to be a lot of panicked moves in the short term to try and protect our status quo because it's a lot easier for me to feel like, oh, I'm just going to do what I've always done as a teacher because mm -hmm. that is what I'm confident in. And it's hard. Like you're, I don't, I feel good about what I'm doing. And it's yeah. hard to think about, oh, I'm going to have to scrap a lot of not just like the, the what, but the how of my leadership and facilitation in the classroom and like what that mm -hmm. even means to be a teacher in the classroom in the years ahead. Uh, that's a scary thing. And I think humans respond to fear by putting their heads in the sand and protecting their agency and power uh, kind of desperately. And I think we're already starting to see that happening. Uh, I think we talked about that that would be the reaction. Uh, and now mm -hmm. this is where we're at. And uh, I think it'll get worse, hopefully before it gets better. But we're in the I would say we're in the worst stage uh, to end yeah. on a happy note today. Yeah, I mean, so to recap here, nuts and bolts for me at my school okay. are inte integrity statement, blocking ChatGPT on at least the school Chromebooks and the school internet, which is obviously not um, a save all and or a panacea. I think that's the better word. Um, and elevating elevating the in class writing process. Those are those are the three like key moves that I think. And for me, I would add on is handwriting. I love handwriting. I'm a, I, you know, that's me. That's, that's mm -hmm. perhaps a personal thing. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's sort of the nuts and bolts. I have varying levels of agreement and conflict with those moves. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm doing. Is that more or less what your school is doing? Uh, in terms of, we haven't had as many of the conversations district wide because we have it's, it's a broader thing in a big district. Uh, I, other than that, it's just blocked and no one even told us about it. They just did it. Uh, uh -huh. 
So that's life in a big district. Uh, mm-hmm. But then also I would add is if you're listening to this, you're like, what can I do as a, especially humanities teacher productively? Something I've started doing more this semester, partly because I think it's just good and not just about chat GBT. Students are annotating their writing when they turn it in. Uh, yep. For instance, the samples that are coming in today, uh, like they, they have to say, title like why they chose it explain that they have to say specific word choices they used as writers and they add comments and say why they chose it and at least Mm -hmm. one sentence and what's the purpose or function of that sentence in the rest of the essay and we model we practiced led up to it i'm having them do a lot more metacognition in their writing Mm -hmm. and i think that has to be an emphasis going forward and if you're Mm -hmm. you're looking for resources for that i i can i've never i'm sure same with you need both of us are always willing to share what we're doing and tools and strategies. Just uh, send us an email or reach out at Broken Copier. We've been trying to push out as much as possible resource-wise because uh, there are some positive steps we can take. Uh, and I do think yeah. the in-class writing emphasis could be a positive one too, if framed correctly. So yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that we are not going to leave this conversation for a while. We'll probably, we'll probably not elevate it too much more on the podcast, uh, but you know... It's here, and it's and it's a game changer for sure. Yeah, and if you want to send us a handwritten letter to prove that it's not ChatGPT writing it, uh, absolutely. Well, I'll tweet it out. I'll tweet it out. Absolutely. Okay. Take care, Jim. You too, Marcus. See ya. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written, hosted, and produced by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, on Instagram at BandUncivilized, and online at UncivilizedTom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with Tom, just like I do. Thanks to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. You can leave us an audio message at podinbox.com slash brokencopier. We might be able to respond and feature it in the next episode. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.